Coming up. California will be allowed to oversee the health care for inmates at Folsom Prison nearly a decade after the state lost control of prison medical services amid allegations of substandard care in the correctional system. Convicted felons forfeit their right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Do they also forfeit their right to health? In order to get in here, they're pretty sick. They're dying. So you're dealing with them knowing that no matter what you do, you're not helping them to live. What kind of patients' rights should convicted felons have? I'll get out of here one of these days in a box. Take one last look at the prison yard. Goodbye, prison we have a long way to go when it comes to taking care of inmates who are terminally ill. Our guest is Oscar-nominated director Edgar Behrens. Dignity Denied, Life and Death in Prison. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University, where Ken teaches philosophy and I did for 40 years. 40 amazing years, John. Our topic today, Dignity <coughs> Denied, Life and Death in Prison. Now, there's a lot of philosophical issues connected with this topic. But before plunging into those, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the facts. Because of very harsh sentencing laws, like three strikes and mandatory minimums, the U.S. imprisons a huge number of people, many serving life terms without the possibility of parole. In fact, we have one quarter of the world's total prison population, and we're, we're not even 5% of the to world's total uh, population, John. Our prison population is also rapidly aging. They're getting sicker and sicker as they get older. It's not like prisoners get the best health care anyway. Many die unnecessarily, alone in their cells, from cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, in many cases treatable problems. You know, John, it all sounds to me, frankly, like cruel and unusual punishment and so should be prohibited. But, you know, the problem is I guess it's not really unusual given how frequently we uh, imprison people for such long times. Well, the only reasonable interpretation of the Eighth Amendment is that any punishment which is either cruel or unusual is prohibited. Uh, good luck getting that passed. Your favorite Supreme Court justice, Antonin Scalia, that's how he interprets it, not at all. Ah, uh, don't get me started on that fallacious manipulative well, mountbank. Well, you know, you have a point there. But, you know, even so, the Eighth Amendment isn't entirely toothless. We, we no longer hang people in this country. We, we deem that cruel and unusual. We deem the electric chair cruel and unusual. And now there's actually a raging debate over whether certain drugs that are sometimes administered in the death penalty cases are cruel and unusual. So there's a debate. Yeah, yeah, there's these drugs that, that paralyze the inmate while he dies a slow and painful death. Now, frankly, I think being hung would be a, a, a day in the park compared to, to dying that way. I, I don't think there should be any real controversy here. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably not a fan of the death penalty in any form. But, but what about all these long-term sentences, life without the possibility of parole at, at the max? Is, you think that's any more humane? Is that cruel and unusual or not? 
Well, can imagine a young man in his 20s commits a pretty bad crime. Maybe it sells drugs or even worse. He gets convicted to life in prison without parole. Now it's 40 years later. The guy spent most of his life behind bars, where he's become a completely different person. Maybe he's read the Bible. Maybe he's read great philosophers. Maybe he's teaching courses to other inmates. Eventually, he develops a terminal illness and is given just a few months to live. The most humane thing to do here would surely be to release him and let him die in dignity and peace with his family. He's already paid the price for his crime. Anything else is just cruel. No, I, I, think, I, I, I see your point. But, you know, there are these programs. They're not everywhere where terminally ill patients can apply for what's called compassionate release. Uh, now that's a star. That's so, so there is some hope, you know. Well, yeah, but good luck getting that to work. Even where there are such programs, because of the huge backlog of applications, most prisoners still die alone in their cells before their cases are even processed. John, are you trying to make me depressed to start this program? Oh, well, that's always fun, but I'll make you more depressed. Just consider who is getting these harsh sentences in the first place. Many of them are nonviolent drug offenders who are disproportionately young men of color or mentally ill. Did you know, Ken, that there are actually more mentally ill people in prisons in this country than there are in psychiatric facilities? Wow, that's an astounding statistic. Yeah. Hospitals are being closed while more prisons are being built, sometimes by profitable corporations, to incarcerate people who are already marginalized. And what kind of care do you suppose they get once they're inside? Well, health care in prison is a tricky thing. Prisoners are entitled to adequate health care. But, you know, sometimes it actually takes a lawsuit to get things really moving. And we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, to talk to a doctor at a major California prison about how health care in prison has changed over the years in the Golden State. She files this report. On a typical day... Rene Alvarez heads out of his house in Oakland, California, and drives straight to prison. Alvarez is a primary care doctor at a major state prison in Northern California. He asks us to not disclose which one. Alvarez says when he started working in the prison health system, it was, to say the least, broken. When I first arrived there, it was very challenging. Uh, it was clear what was not working, but it wasn't clear how to fix it. That was in 2007. Six years earlier, California was sued after 32 inmates around the state died because of a lack of adequate health care. The state promised sweeping changes, but a few years later, not much had improved. In California, lawmakers are lamenting the state of health care and the state's huge prison system. And they want to know why a health care system that costs a billion dollars a year is plagued with incompetent doctors and unexplained deaths. There were people dying of asthma inside their cells who couldn't get access to care in time. There were problems getting people the medicines they needed. There were a shortage of physicians and nurses. So California began a receivership program, sending officials into state prisons to make sure changes were being made. And it worked. I guess change doesn't happen unless it's made to happen. In the prison where Alvarez works, they replaced a lot of the medical staff. Physicians who had been there a long time, who weren't very effective, who weren't necessarily even board certified or, or skilled. They also added new healthcare resources. We have a pharmacy and we have a laboratory there that 
does the blood draws. We have x-ray machines, we have an MRI and CT scanner truck. They're also dealing head-on with the epidemic of hepatitis C in their prison. Today, one in every six prisoners nationwide has hep C, compared to about one in a hundred for the general population. There's pretty much, they had a perfect storm of risk for transmitting hepatitis C between intravenous drug use, rampant tattooing uh, with maybe unclean needles. Alvarez says his prison recently began treating hepatitis C patients with a new and very expensive drug. It's about $1,000 a pill and they're getting them, the people who need them. That's about $90,000 a patient, or over a billion dollars if we were treating every prisoner with hep C in the country. Some might argue prisoners aren't worth that kind of investment, not Rene Alvarez. When someone walks into our office in the community, we are not asking them what they've done in their life. We are not judging them uh, for their behavior. We believe that everyone is entitled to medical care and to be healthy and to have their diseases treated. And the courts have been very clear as well that if people are going to be in the custody of the state, then it is the state's responsibility to provide them with adequate health care. There's also the public health risk of spreading diseases like hepatitis C after inmates are released. Alvarez says California is on the vanguard of showing how to do prison health care the right way. It's quite remarkable what has been accomplished, and hopefully other states will see what's happened here and not wait for the lawsuit to happen and start to fix their healthcare systems. Alvarez says the system isn't perfect. They're dealing with the prison after all. For instance, the prison cells are too small to even do jumping jacks, so not much exercise. But at least people are no longer dying in their prison cells from a lack of medical care. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.